You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Good morning, church. So glad you are here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Hopefully, hopefully you're thinking about who you're inviting for Easter next Sunday. Easter is the easiest weekend of the entire year to invite somebody to church because uh, people just uh, culturally have that on their radar. So I encourage you to think, who can you bring to church with you? We're going to pack this place out, and we got lots of special stuff planned for that morning. And in faith and in prayer, we're, we're expecting for God to show up and move in people's hearts and lives. Um, a couple really cool announcements I get to make this morning. One is I want to I recognize one of our elders, uh, Inya Lananya. Uh, would you raise your hand, man? Stand, actually. You just got to stand up. India has been on a long journey, a long, long, long journey, a lifelong journey of getting his PhD now. And uh, this last Friday, he just defended his dissertation and got approved and got accepted. <laughs> proud of you, man. So I want to honor Enya for the hard work, honor Miss AZ for all that. She should get an honorary PhD for, for enduring that long uh, marathon. So man, we're so proud of you. We're so excited for you. Give him a big hug and tell him to, to, uh, call him Dr. Enya from now on. So <laughs> we're so proud of you, man. Secondly, yesterday was a big deal. Um, our youth ministry went down to, uh, a group of students with, with our youth leaders went down to Des Moines for a fine arts festival. So it's a, a festival just created for youth, middle schoolers and high schoolers to really exhibit their gifts and, and a, a wide array of various, like the, the, like the uh, more traditional arts, like visual arts, but then also like drama and music. And me and my wife, we were part of fine arts growing up. And uh, Taylor Nickerson, God, Taylor, will you raise your hand? I know you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassing you. Taylor, sixth grader, not only got a superior rating, but, got, but she got a superior rating with an invitation to na- the Nationals competition in Orlando. So her visual art, she got a superior with, or superior with invitation, and her art is out in the lobby. And we're just so proud of you, Taylor, for stepping out and doing something new. This is our, the first year in a long time that our church was a part of fine arts as a uh, Pastor Riley and Sheena are pioneering the youth ministry, and so we're just so proud of you, Taylor, for stepping out. It's so cool. Um, God's been moving in our midst. A couple of testimonies I just have to share with you. Um, last Sunday, a lady was here who was, uh, whose husband was at home sick. He had been bedridden for two days, and uh, she left the, the service just so amped up with faith. I don't know if you left that way. I left that way last Sunday, just amped up with the promises of God that that healing is part of the atonement that we see in Isaiah 53. And she left and she, she bursted in the door of her home and she said, Rick, you're healed. So she shouted. And he said, they stopped by my, my, by my office this week and, and he said, there was a breakthrough that happened. And he had been bedridden for two, for two days. He had already been to the doctor. They couldn't really do anything for him. But when she declared that over their house, she, he said something shifted in his body. And over that day, he made this gradual recovery and he walked in my office to testify this week. So we praise God, right? Praise God. Another really cool testimony. Um, last Sunday after the service, um, a lady that's in our life group came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she said, uh, Monday night at our life group, we had prayed for her because she has neuropathy in her right leg. 
So pain from her hip down to her leg, and neuropathy, it feels like you got needles in your, in your uh, leg all the time, and so then she can't sleep at night. And so in faith, we, we prayed for a life group, and Sunday morning she testified after the service, tears in her eyes, that God had healed her. All week long she had had uh, zero pain from her hip down to her foot. So we praise God, right? Come on. I shared with you last week how I've felt this challenge from the Lord to steward testimonies. And so one way we've practically uh, responded to that challenge from the Lord is on our website. We've now started to just document and really uh, create a repository of testimonies of ways God is moving in our midst. This, this creates, a, I believe it's honoring to the Lord. It creates an atmosphere of thanksgiving, honoring these like, it's like a memorial offering to him, just like in the Old Testament where they would they'd build these altars at moments when God really showed up and did the miraculous. I believe we do that when we testify, when we open up our mouths and speak of the ways God has moved in our midst. And so you can go on there, even right now I'm giving you permission, you can go to livethemessage.org slash stories. You can go there so you can bookmark it. Come on, livethemessage.org slash stories. On there, there's already a ton of testimonies. You can read of, of salvation, of healing, of divine appointments, and there's more to come. And there's also on that page then instructions. If you want to testify, if you want to share your story, there's instructions for how you can do that, and we'd love for your story to be included. Um, we're giving you a platform to then testify of God's work in your life. Amen? This morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, Jesus, Israel's healer. Last week, I shared a message with you entitled Israel's healer. This week, it's Jesus, Israel's healer, because Jesus came and introduced himself as Israel's healer. Last week, we saw in the 39 books of the Old Testament how God, how, how we, we can think of those 39 books of the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, those first 39 books that lead up to the coming of Jesus, we can think of those as, as an introduction, a grand introduction of how God described himself, that he stood before humanity, specifically before Israel, and he said, hello, my name is Yahweh. And then as he did that, he, he, he described his name in a number of different ways. Hello, I'm, I'm Yahweh Shema. I'm Yahweh Shalom. God, I, I am Yahweh of God, the Lord is your peace. Yahweh Ra, I'm the Lord your shepherd. There's seven of these redemptive names that we talked about last week as God stepped before humanity and introduced himself in that way. So last week we talked about how God is our present, peaceful shepherd who provides victory, righteousness, and healing. Those are the, the seven redemptive names. So it's, it's not all that God is. Even as Job prayed earlier, he's multidimensional, multi, multifaceted. He's endless. He's vast and majestic. But these are seven, like, irrefutable. We can't get away from how God described himself. We, we have a responsibility to respond to this revelation of how God revealed himself in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. There's value in those 39 books that come before Jesus coming on the planet. So he is our present, peaceful shepherd who provides victory, righteousness, and healing. It's how God revealed himself to Israel. So healing is included in that. And that, that name specifically for healing is Yahweh Rapha. So we, what we learned about in Exodus 15 is they, as they got into the wilderness, got freedom from the Egyptian slavery miraculously, but now they found themselves like destitute and wandering for three days without food and water. And God put them in a, in a, um, a stretching situation, to say the least, three days with no food and water, so that he could reveal who he was as their healer. And he said, I am Yahweh, Rapha. I am Lord, your healer. 
So if we have faith to believe that he is our righteousness, which is Yahweh Tzikidnu, sounds like I'm sneezing, but that's, that's, how, that's the Hebrew, it's Tzikidnu. If he revealed himself as your righteousness, and we can believe that, that he has, he's sufficient to, to take care of our sin issue, he revealed himself also as Yahweh Rapha, Lord as our healer, then we should have faith to believe that he also is sufficient to take care of the, the results of the curse that are taking place in our body. So this morning, I want, to, I want to keep that ball rolling. I want to keep, keep us going in that line. And now as we move to Jesus stepping onto the planet in the Gospels here in, in the book of Mark, I want to see that there is no interruption, there is no hesitation, there is no hiccup, there is no, there's no doubt in our minds that Jesus has revealed himself as Yahweh Rapha. That's our main idea for this morning, that Jesus is the continuation of God's revelation as our healer, Yahweh Rapha. There's no doubt about it. He didn't say, oh yeah, in in the old covenant before I came, that was all just metaphorical. It was all symbolic of just purely the sin issue. No, literally, I'm coming as your healer for your bodies. He cares about the redemption of humanity, mind, will, body, soul, spirit, all that we are as as human beings. He cares about the redemption of all that we are and the healing of our entirety. So Jesus is that continuation of God's revelation as our healer. Jesus is that emphatic declaration of the length and the width and the breadth of this good news of Jesus Christ that he came to declare. Before we get to Mark chapter 6, I'll just point you to, to Matthew chapter 8. That everything that we see, you know, this entire series is, is centered around Isaiah 53, which we'll, we'll read this morning as well. But that he bore our griefs and he bore, us, bore our sorrows on the cross. That he took upon himself our transgressions, our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the good news of Jesus. It is salvation of your soul, the... Uh, the forgiveness of your sins, but it's also the healing of your bodies. And when Jesus came before the people, he did all these miraculous works of healing. And, that, and, he, and he meant for it to be a literal healing of our bodies, as we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Or 16 and 17. It says, evening, they, they, at evening time, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits of the word and he healed all who were sick. Then Matthew quotes Isaiah 53. He says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. It wasn't metaphorical, it wasn't symbolic. Literally, Jesus stood before the people and declared this good news that meant something for their bodies that were sick, that needed a touch in that moment, these desperate people. He didn't just speak theoretically of some kingdom to come. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I proclaim good news to you now, healing for your bodies. So we're going to look at a really curious story this morning, Mark chapter 7. Really interesting story. It can almost seem like Jesus is harsh, but we we need to understand the context here. And this is is why I've titled this message, Jesus, Israel's Healer. Because Jesus first came before, uh, as as Israel's Messiah, before he could open up the gates to to all nations, to all people. We have to first establish him as as an emphatic declaration to Israel of who he is, as the, the fulfillment, as their messianic savior. So let's read this story, Mark chapter 7. We'll just kind of walk through this verse by verse. It says, And from there he arose 
and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. So Jesus went away from the primarily Jewish regions of Israel to a Roman province of Syria, to these towns, Tyre and Sidon, because he, he felt like he needed, as he was compelled by the Holy Spirit, felt he needed to hide himself for a season. Yes, he was in public ministry, but the tensions were rising at this point in his ministry. And he knew it wasn't yet his time. It wasn't yet his time for him to give his life, so he went into this hiding. He retreated to Tyre and Sidon. But the full gospel cannot be hidden. Jesus, in power, and this good news that he carried, it cannot be hidden. Matthew Henry said that a candle can be hidden under a bushel, but you can't hide the sun. And that's the reality of it. As the Son of God hung out in Tyre and Sidon, he could not be, he could not be hidden. The power of God was all over this man. As he, as he was walking now in this full ministry of, of the full gospel, could not be hidden. And honestly, I believe that, as I shared last week, that God is stirring something in our church to be an authentic expression of this good news that cannot be hidden. You see, when a church begins to tap into the full gospel, that's not just doctrinal or creedal something hanging on a wall or some theoretical statement of some kingdom of heaven to come, but when we actually talk tangibly to the needs of our city, to the needs of desperate people, something shifts. And that can't be hidden. You can't keep the crowds away then. Parking lot issues go away because people just crowd in. They just, they sit on the floor. They don't care. They just want to be close to the power of God. And that's what happens here in the ministry of Jesus. And I'm, un, I'm unrelenting. I am uh, unsatisfied with anything less than that. That's what we're contending for. To be a church that's the full gospel. An authentic expression of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we see needs in our city people dying of cancer, people ridden with addictions to drugs and alcohol, that our hearts break, that we don't carry more of a burden of the full gospel that actually means something tangibly for the things that they're, they're facing, the issues that they're facing. God is stirring that in our hearts. I pray that we respond. So Jesus could not be hidden. Let's read in verse 25. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. It's a beautiful picture of a loving parent. There's really nothing like it. Just put yourself in the, the sandals of this mother whose, whose daughter is tormented by these demonic spirits. She is desperate. So yes, Mark, and this story is also told in Matthew. Matthew describes her as a Canaanite here. Mark describes her by her nationality, Syrophoenician. She's a Gentile. She's a non-Israelite. She's stepping outside of the norms, outside of her comfort zone, and she is a desperate mother wanting to stand in the gap for her daughter who's tormented day and night by these demonic spirits. I ran into a mother that attends our church uh, at Walmart this week whose, whose son is recovering from an addiction to heroin. 40 days clean, though, praise God, right? And Yes. We praise God. For sobriety and, and the, 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 the cleansing work of Jesus Christ in his life, there's nothing like that love of a mom for her, for her son or for her daughter, the love of a father. There's a desperation that wells up in our heart. But I pray if you're a parent in this place and you have a, a child that's whatever their age, 
that's walking through a desperate season, allow your desperation to move you towards Jesus and not, not move away from him. That's what desperate situations, they become this crossroads. Are we gonna press in? Are we gonna push in to the promises of God? Are we gonna draw near, you know, past our comfort zones? Because this lady, I mean, she was just bounding over all the, the cultural norms of her day. Are we gonna allow us to, are we gonna push it? Are we gonna push into Jesus? Or are we gonna allow it to become this, this stumbling block that allows us to, gives us an excuse to walk away from the promises of God? I pray that our eyes are open to the power of Jesus, that when those desperate moments come, that we, we find ourselves throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. That wasn't an act for her. For her. It was not some the, uh, theatrical show. That was her natural response of desperation, to throw herself at the feet of Jesus. This mom had faith. The Matthew 15 account says, even though she was a non-Jew, she was not an Israelite, she, the title she, she declared to Jesus was Lord, Master, but also Son of David. So she recognized Jesus' authority as the, the Messianic uh, Israeli fulfillment of, of all that they had anticipated. She called him Son of David. I'm not, even a, I'm not even a woman of your faith, but I recognize that you are the fulfillment of all that the Israelites have been waiting for, all that the Jews have been waiting for. Let's keep reading in verse 26. So yeah, now, now the woman was a Gentile. What's she doing? She's trying to get in on the party. A Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, Jesus that we think of. But that's not Sunday school Jesus that we think of. Like he's, he's denying her. He's, at least at surface level, seeming to reject her state of desperation, her request. And Jesus may seem harsh here, but I want us to, I want us to in context, understand what's happening. Because I, I believe as 21st Westerners, 21st, Christ, 21st century Christians, and Westerners on top of that, we remove ourselves from the redemptive plan historically of how God has revealed himself to humanity. And we can never remove ourselves from the reality that God first chose to reveal himself to Israel. There's three things specifically I want us to learn. And first is this, that he came first as Israel's healer. Unapologetically, he did. There's a time when the gates will be swung wide open and he will shed his blood for all nations, that all nations will come to him. But in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in, in all that he is, in, in bringing about this redemptive plan, he chose to raise up a tiny nation named Israel. I believe it's to confound the wise. He chose to, to raise up a tiny na- nation, Israel, reveal himself first to them, and from this nation, raise up a Messiah for all the world. But Jesus first had to establish himself as Israel's healer. And he was unapologetic about it. He knew this lady's day would come, but it wasn't yet quite time. So unapologetically, he declares himself as Israel's healer. And the the problem with us removing ourselves from, from that aspect of redemptive history is we lose 
the value of, of all that came before Jesus. So many times as we're consuming the word of God, studying it, we just skip over the first 39 books because we don't even know what to do with it. But when we just put it in as proper context, this is how God chose to reveal himself first to a nation named Israel. All of a sudden, these, these first 39 books of the Bible, they begin to come alive because you put them in their proper context in, in human history and redemptive history. And so there, there are some teachers today that, that are, they're seeking to, to extract the, the parts of the Bible that, that just kind of suit them as 21st century uh, um, believers. And it's an abomination. Let's, let's, let's consume all the word of God in its proper context. And, and that was the dispensation that they, that they lived in, that God was revealing himself to Israel. So he came first as Israel's healer, unapologetically. Second is this, that healing is confirmed as Israel's bread. Bread being this picture of their, their most basic sustenance, their most basic provision. That just as he revealed himself in Exodus 15, in the book of Numbers, as their healer, here he is again, he's confirming to them that this is my children's bread. This is the, ch- the children of Israel. This is their bread. This is the common everyday fare of Israel. It's their healing. It's their provisions. Their, it's, it's what they need. I am the one who provides for them. I am their healer. He confirms that. So our main idea for this morning is confirmed in this statement that Jesus is the continuation of God revealing himself as Yahweh Rapha. He is that. And third is this. This is extremely practical, extremely relevant to where you find yourself today, that oftentimes God gives us opportunities to exercise our faith. And here he was giving her this opportunity. I don't know. I, I, I don't always know the timing of God. I don't. The sovereignty of God can be a mystery. And Jesus seems to say that it's not yet her time. But when her faith is given an opportunity to shine, he says, okay, it is your time. <laughs> we'll see that here in a moment. But I don't, want, I don't want you to miss that. That God oftentimes gives us opportunities to exercise our faith. Sometimes in big ways and sometimes in small ways. But see those opportunities for what they are. They're opportunities for you to demonstrate your faith in what you know to be true. God is who he says he is. And just as he's provided in years prior in your life, he's going to do it again in this moment. And sometimes it's in big ways. Exodus 15, like we talked about last week, was a huge way. Here they are, life and death, in the wilderness for three days without food and water. Like they're on the brink of death, of extinction. And they're in this moment, it's all on the line. For them to either demonstrate faith that God is who he says he is or he's not. And God reveals himself as Yahweh, Rapha. Sometimes in big ways, like Peter being called out of the boat to walk on water. From from our perspective, willing to risk his life to demonstrate his faith in Jesus as as the Messiah, as this one who truly is the Son of God. But sometimes he gives us opportunities to exercise our faith in small ways. Like when Jesus tells the man with the withered hand, extend your hand. It's a simple response of obedience to exercise our faith that I now have the strength to do that. They don't have to do that. The, wither, the man with the withered hand, he could just sit there clinging to his ailment, 
clinging to his disease, but instead he chose to exercise his faith and extend his hand. Or when he tells somebody to rise up and walk, there is an, an invitation to exercise faith. I want to make just a kind of a special note here as to the power of unbelief. I, I would say that many times people in our day, they, they wrestle with the ideas of why God doesn't always heal. And we'd say, well, it's because unbelief kind of um, riddles our land, that we are a, a land, a nation, a people that, that don't have faith to believe that God is healer. It's, it's, it's almost like we give more power to unbelief than the power of God. I want to tell you that unbelief does not have more power than the power of God. It's not greater than the power of God. This is, this is where it all, it all sits. It's as simple as this. Unbelief simply keeps us from coming to God. That's all it does. Light always triumphs over darkness. The power of God always triumphs over any situation. Unbelief simply keeps us paralyzed. Simply, simply keeps us in our seat. It disallows us from engaging and responding to that invitation to come to him in faith. We see that in Mark chapter 6. So just one chapter prior, you can read it when you get home. The story of when Jesus comes into Nazareth. He says they were offended at him. They, they knew Jesus. They ran around town with him. They played games with him. They kicked the ball around with Jesus. They knew Jesus. And they were offended by his authority and his power demonstrated. And he says, Jesus didn't do many miracles there. He just healed a few sick people, which for us, that's a great day. He just healed a few sick people, and it says he was astounded by their unbelief. So was it that he was unable, it doesn't say that he was unable to heal them. He was unable to do the miraculous. It was their unbelief kept them from, from coming to him. They were so offended by him, they didn't even come to him. And I would say more often than not, that's, what, that's what's holding us back in the 21st century. Is we don't even come to him. We have all these things vying as solutions, vying for our attention as, as short-term solutions for our ailments instead of pressing into God and coming to him first as Yahweh Rapha. Let's keep reading. Verse 28 says, but she answered him. Here's her statement of faith. Yes, Lord. It, even the dogs under the, under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus recognized her faith by her words. In that moment, she makes this bold statement that all she needed were crumbs. That's all she needed. She didn't need a whole loaf. She didn't need a full slice of bread. All she needs is some crumbs. I believe there's two challenges from this response of this Canaanite, this Gentile lady, this, this desperate mom who's seeking a miracle for her daughter. There's two challenges we can take, take away from this. One is this, take inventory of our words. Our words matter. You think your words don't matter, they matter. This, this woman in this moment, she could have missed out on her miracle. If she didn't guard her tongue and, and realize that her words matter. Our words are an overflow of our heart. Our, our words are the greatest indicator of truly what we believe. We can say God is our healer. He is Yahweh Rapha. He is our everything. He's our sufficiency. That we love him with our, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
When push comes to, to shove, our, our words, our tongue indicates what we truly believe. Take inventory of our words. And the second challenge is this. Choose words of truth and faith. Intentionally, choose words that actually proclaim what you know to be true. What you truly believe. Allow your faith to go from something just in here or just a mental assent to something spoken out loud. Make that choice. I am going to speak out loud what I know to be true. Instead of just keeping it as something you figured out in your head, that you figured out intellectually, allow it to be extended in faith. That's when the rubber meets the road in our journey with Christ, is when our tongue and our mouth is opened, when, we, when our, our words actually come out and declare in faith what we know to be true. Choose that. I'm not talking about name it and claim it theology. I'm not, ta- I'm not t- telling you you have to ignore what people are telling you, what wisdom is telling you. I'm talking about a transformation by the renewal of our minds. We begin to consume the word of God, and this becomes the the burning reality that drives us. We begin to speak the truth of God into situations in faith. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I wish we lived with this sort of urgency more often as Paul gives us gives us a glimpse of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every captive, or every, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We live in the midst of a war. There should be something that rises in, up in us that's tenacious to take on and destroy the works of the enemy as Jesus came to do. We see in 1 John, that's what he came to do, to destroy the works of the enemy. So, so often as believers, I know we live in a very comfortable world, but we, we live very lethargically, very, very passively. It's like, well, whatever happens, happens. I'm, I'll survive, I'll make it through this. What we see here is Paul opens our eyes to the, the warfare that's at, that's, that exists around us. This should heighten our senses to be tenacious, to wake up every day saying, we're going to take new ground. We are on the offensive here. We are in the midst of a war, and we are going to destroy strongholds. And how do we do that? It starts in our mind, and it starts by what we declare. He says, by, just, by tearing down these lofty opinions. That word lofty literally means uh, prideful, pretentious. Those are the opinions that fly through our mind that are from our flesh or from the enemy that, set them, that prop themselves up against the mind of Christ. So what goes on up here matters, and, and even more importantly, what comes out of it, we can't really always control what goes on in our mind. We consume the word, though, and, be, and begin a transformation by the renewal of our minds, and then we choose consciously to open up our mouths and, and declare words of truth and faith. And this woman did that. She stepped out in bold faith and declared what she had seen. She had caught a glimpse. I don't know how or when, but somehow this woman caught a glimpse of the true Jesus in authority, in grace, in love, in truth, 
And in faith, she stepped out and said, all I need are some crumbs. And, and she knew that he was a benevolent Messiah. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. She knew all she needed is some crumbs. It's like the, the woman who knew all she needed to do is touch the hem of Jesus' garment. There's a story in Acts chapter 5 about, about the faith coming to a place so much in Jerusalem that people knew that all they needed to do is get into the shadow of the apostles and they could experience a healing. They knew all they needed is a crumb. And I pray that would be a reality again in our day. The power of God would be so tangible, so real. Be moving in our midst in such a way that desperate people would come seeking the power of God to move in their lives. And they'd say, all I need is a crumb. I believe that actually starts with us beginning to renew our minds again as a people. I believe over the next number of months and even years, God's been stirring up a message in my heart, which will, will come in the days to come, about us returning back to the word of God in a fresh way, to be people of the word. And we begin to consume it, not as a, as a textbook, not as just a historical document, although it, it holds up to the, all the, um, the, the tests critically for historical documents, it holds up, but it is more than that. It's more than just another book on our shelf. And we need to be a people that submit ourselves to this process of transformation by the renewal of our minds. And God's calling us back to that. And when we do that, when we begin to experience that sort of renewal, that sort of revival, it does something to us in the way we live out our daily lives. We become everyday believers that can't hold it back, that we can't hold it in, we can't contain it. It's like the world has to know. I have these crumbs. I'm actually eating of this daily bread and it's so good that these crumbs, they, they fall out from around me because I'm a sloppy eater and the world around me is impacted. I'm gonna ask you to stand across this place. We're gonna end in this way. We're gonna end where we started this whole series, Isaiah 53 prophecy about Jesus. This is the full gospel. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. That he bore our griefs, which in the Hebrew literally means sickness. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Can we read verse 5 together? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen. He brought you peace. He bore your griefs. He bore your sickness. He bore your pain. Yes, he paid for your iniquities, for your transgressions. And it's by his stripes, you are healed. I want us to respond to Jesus this morning. Everyone close their eyes. I want you to respond to Jesus. Respond to the good news of God. Declare it over your life this morning. He's speaking to you, your situations, your life, your family. The weights that you carry, the battles that you're in, he's declaring good news to you. If there's anybody in this place that, that's not right with God, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning.
to say, I'm surrendering my life to you, Jesus. I wanna be a child of God. I wanna be forgiven, I wanna be made clean, I wanna be made new. It's a huge decision of commitment, of devotion. He's adopting you into the, into the family of God. If that's you in this place, would you raise your hand? I wanna know who I'm praying for. If you wanna surrender your life to Christ. Is there anybody? That's fine if there's not. But please, if you are meaning to raise your hand, please let me see. I didn't see any hands, but even if you wanted to raise your hand and you, don't, you didn't want to be embarrassed or whatever it is, you can pray a prayer like this. And, and even if this is not your moment, you get home and, and you feel like, how's my moment to surrender my life to Christ? You can pray a prayer like this. It's a prayer from your own heart. Lord Jesus, right now I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I'm, try, I'm tired of trying to clean up my life and, and muster up something to present to you, to make things right with you. I, I'm sick and tired of that. So right now, I stop. I surrender all of it to you. I look to you as my savior, as my Messiah, as the the one who can take care of my sin issue. You are my everything, no turning back. I wanna be called a son or a daughter of God. I wanna be adopted into your family. I wanna be made new in your name. That's a simple prayer you can pray on your own and devotion and dedication to Jesus. Secondly, I wanna give an opportunity for us to respond and receive healing in our bodies. Every week there's, there's been nearly 50% of people in this place that have something that they need God just to, to move and touch in their bodies. And I wanna give an opportunity for that. But I'm actually gonna do something different this morning. I'm actually gonna call people forward to the front. I felt compelled to do that in response to this story where it seemed like Jesus gave them an opportunity to extend faith. We can stay in our seats. And we've been seeing even in that, even in that, and people staying in their seats and responding to the sovereign presence of Jesus, people experiencing healing. I shared the testimony from a couple weeks ago of the man with pain in his hands. He couldn't, he shared the testimony this week, uh, written up for our website, but he couldn't even open a pop bottle. And when we prayed that simple prayer at the end of the service, all the pain left. He's an auto body mechanic. All the pain left his hands. I received another uh, testimony last night. Someone who received prayer at the end of our service last, sun, uh, last Sunday. A sixth grader, pain in her back. She loves playing softball. We prayed for healing. In that moment, she was touched. She was healed. She went to the physical therapist. She pitched yesterday in softball for the first time, pain-free in six months. Amen, right? Come on. <laughs> Praise God. But I believe that there's moments where we just have to extend our faith. And so I'm gonna invite you forward. If you're in this place and you need healing in your body, I just want you to come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna call you out. I just want you to extend your faith. I received another testimony as they're coming. I received another testimony just before the service. Somebody that came to midweek prayer had pain in their jaw. They had, had, they had cases of root canal, uh, root canals before in their life, so they knew the pain. And this is what mimicked that, root canals. They left, they left midweek prayer with no pain. They went to the dentist, no need for any sort of surgery. He, he actually couldn't even, his, uh, his jaw was out of a line before midweek prayer and God healed his jaw. So thank you for responding. I'm gonna ask the worship team to play. If you're in your seats, 
I want you to do one of two things. You can either have a moment with God responding because maybe God is dealing with your heart in something and you can worship along and respond to the Lord. This is a gift for you to just have a moment with Jesus or you can in faith stand in the gap for those that are up front. You can extend your hand. God maybe maybe wants to use you this morning to be that intercessor of, of faith standing in the gap for these ones who need a touch from God. So you can do one of two things, either enter and respond to God or pray for these individuals who've come forward. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.